Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. to America's Heroes Group. Today is uh, Saturday, January 29th, 2022. My name is Sean Claiborne. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And America's Heroes Group, this is our segment called Community Roundtable Outreach. Our host is Cliff Kelly. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. Our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a great guest on the line today. She knows one or two things about credit and how to build credit, how to repair credit, her name is Lisa Gavin. She is CBI Vice President of We Build Your Credit and also President of Next Level Credit and Funding. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm doing great. How are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. So tell us some things we need to know about building credit. And before you do that, though, tell me how you got interested in building credit and what that means to you personally. Sure. The bottom line is that I think a lot of people feel very mystified about credit. It's not something we learn in school, and it should be something that we learn in school. And I got interested in in it because, frankly, I I got a master's degree in uh, business administration, and that was not part of what they taught me in that curriculum. And you would think if you were getting a business degree that you should understand credit, right? right? And credit should be part of that curriculum. But that shows you how the industry is. It's not, frankly, designed for us to really understand how to master this game. Mm. And it is a game, and there are folks making a ton of money off of it. And so that's how I got interested in it. It was just an area that I felt people didn't know enough about. And so my husband, who's also my business partner, had a particular situation that he was trying to understand how he had cars, houses, and everything else, but didn't have a very, very high credit score, a good credit score, enough to get things done. Mm -hmm. But he was like, why can't I go into the car dealership and get 0% and not owned cars and houses? And that's how the whole conversation started, and it ended up building from there into a whole entire business. So what are the most powerful things you think people can do with credit? So a lot of people don't I agree with you. I mean, working in the, in the industry in finance, I'm a financial professional of myself, myself. The thing is I don't understand is um, oftentimes how do we miss the 
how do we not get what credit can do for us? What are some of the things that credit is, is not just about getting a, a nicer car or, or getting a, the better apartment or getting a better you know home mortgage, but what are some of the powerful things you can do to transform your life with good credit? Sure. Well, my philosophy is to do everything cheaper. I'm not cheap, but I'm frugal. So right. and there's a difference. And so for me, I like not having to pay top dollar for everything. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most powerful things that credit can offer you. One is addictive to hear yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so I would have to suppose that that would probably be number one on most folks list to know that if you're trying to do something, you're going to be told yes. And then the second part of that, that even if you tell me yes, are you going to hurt me? With the interest rates, are is this going to be something that I'm going to struggle to have to do because you're hitting me over the head with the rates? And most people don't want to have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what strikes me most is that we tend to think about it only when we're being told no or only when we really, really need it. And by that time, we're in dire straits. And because we haven't been taught about credit the way we need to, we don't understand how powerful the tool is. People just simply don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And until we run into situations where it's needed is when all of a sudden we start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things I want to go over. So right now in America, something like one-fifth of Americans don't even have a credit score. And then yeah. there's another thing, another number out there, something floating around out there. There's something like 35% of, of Americans have subprime credit or they qualify for subprime credit products, meaning they get those higher interest rates. they got to pay more money for the basics of, of life and things like that, like card notes or apartments and things of those nature. So what are some yes. of the things that people do? First of all, what are the trappings that people get into to, to start their path onto bad credit? How do people get off that path? But what are the, the mis, missteps that people make getting bad credit in the first place? Well, I think that's a multi-layered question. I think people get into the situation because we live in America. We're in such a capitalistic society, and we're swarmed with visions on TV and everything else of all the things we're supposed to have. And so just by the sheer nature of what credit's designed to do, <laughs> which is to have companies get rich off of offering us their products and having us afford things we can't afford, it's very easy to get caught up in the trap. But the, I think the issue is that we typically don't stop to think about whether I should have that right now. We just want right now. Mm-hmm. And so – and that's what TV is presenting to us. Get this now. Buy this now. And we don't stop to think, can I really afford this now? Even if I, I get approved for the credit – do I still want to be laced with an $800 per month car? No. Right. And so we don't think about research the other end of that. We just react to the wants and, and don't tap into the needs. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, we could be putting away $800 to our card note, or it could be putting $800 away for your future in some kind of investment account or some kind of thing that's going to put money in your pocket. I always believe exactly. that, 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 that debt, me personally, I, I don't believe in debt unless that debt is going to put more money in my pocket some kind of way. So when I get into debt, I'm looking at investment yes. property. I'm looking at maybe starting putting something towards a business proposition, 
borrowing money to start a business, expand a business, you know, get real estate, sell real estate, things like that. So, so how do we get into that game? How do how do people? How does the average American start building their credit, repairing their credit, so they can get to that top twenty percent, the holy grail of credit, the people that have the eight hundred scores and above? This one, yes. Americans have that eight hundred score and above. How do we how do we get to that point? I think the beginning stages of that is to redefine what credit is. Credit should be used, as you were saying, to make moves. Credit should be used to make or save money. So if you raise your credit scores and then refinance your car, and that same car is now costing you $100 less per month, 150 less per month, literally thousands over the life of that loan, that's a smart credit move. Mm-hmm. And so we have to redefine credit. Credit is – I don't use my credit cards to do a lot of shopping. My credit cards usually are to hopefully invest in something that I'm looking to get a return. Mm-hmm. It's to finance something that I need to do because it's growing my business. It's to – and in simple language, even if you don't have a business, you might have a quote-unquote side hustle. Right. Whatever it is mm-hmm. that requires capital, capital or money mm-hmm. for you to be able to invest in it. I don't care if you're knitting. If you don't have the cash to buy some needles and some right. thread, Real you know, fun. that's where credit comes in. You, you use that credit to invest in something that's going to help build and develop you. So to get to the second part of your question – the more important part, how do you get there? And that is also about a a different definition as well. Redefining what credit repair means. People think of credit repair just, oh, I got some bad things, and how do I get those things off? But I'm often in a situation that I can have a person, and I get every negative thing off, but if they don't have anything positive that's building their credit, it's all for naught. Because literally you wipe off everything bad, but if there's nothing good, you have no credit score. And you just mentioned the statistics of folks that don't even have a credit score, folks that don't even have good enough credit. Most of the time they don't have good enough credit because they have not proven that they can manage enough good stuff. Mm -hmm. So credit repair is not just fixing the bad stuff. It's understanding how to build good relationships also. So even if – something goes wrong, you still have to find ways to get approved for credit and to build positive pieces of credit, even despite the negativity that's going on on your credit report. And so a lot of us just aren't taught how to do that. Now, from what I understand, that the most the most powerful way to build stronger credit is to make sure you make on-time payments. So on-time payments is one of the key things to building credit. And, having, yes. and somebody told me years ago when I first started getting into real estate, they said that if the magic number is um, if you have five lines of credit open uh, with no late payments for three years, is that is that a roughly a good like rule of thumb for the most part, or is that that's a good rule of thumb? And I'll make it even shorter for you: two years. Okay. And the reason that I say two years is because the credit scoring systems are designed to weigh more heavily on what your last two years of history look like. And then in terms of getting approvals, even having one year of, of on-time payments under your belt makes a huge difference. So you don't have to necessarily wait till you get to that three-year threshold. Um, but the five accounts, yes, that's a good measure. Four to five open active accounts really does a lot for putting fuel in the tank. And so that's how I describe the credit journey. If you don't have anything that's reporting good on you, you have no fuel in the tank. Mm-hmm. 
and the credit scores aren't going to go anywhere. So that's kind of what that formula is. It's understanding that you have to have multiple good open active accounts, and it is understanding that you have to amass on-time payments over a period of time. Yes, so both of those things are absolutely true. I'm really glad you're on the show because there's a lot of things um, that I've kind of stumbled across. I haven't done a lot of time to research yet, but one of, uh, there's been a lot of changes, it seems like, in the last few years, last really the last 10 years or so. It seems like it's ever-evolving with all these different legislations. Frank Dodd Act that came out not too long ago. We had yeah. some uh, the, 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 the labor law rule that came out a while ago that affected retirement accounts, all kinds of different things. So when something negative hits your credit, how long does it take to get that off your credit? So, so, so back when I was when I first was coming up and started uh, looking at the credit game and things like that, whatever. What I was on, was on, on the impression of if you have something negative on your credit report, that will stay on there pretty much indefinitely until that creditor just releases you from it. So, so people think, oh, I've had that. I'm not going to pay that. You know, that old bill. I'm not. I'm, t- I'm not having to dispute with them. I'm not going to deal with it. And it sits there, and they and they get upset because their credit score doesn't ever improve because they they got other credit and they're paying on time with that. But they still got this dead weight of something they have not paid that's delinquent that's sitting on there. Will it just yeah. go away on its own or do you have to satisfy that some kind of way before it actually stops becoming dead weight? Well, what ends up happening is that good thing there are laws and rules that help. Uh, bad information can only stay on for seven years. So it is not up to the creditor to keep that forever against you, right? But it's seven years from what they call the date of last activity. And so what that means is when you stopped paying that obligation, that's when that seven-year countdown starts. Now, most folks don't want to wait for seven whole years for negative information to fall off their credit report. The good news is that even if you did no credit repair, after that debt is two years old, it just seems to have less and less and less impact over time. Does it go away? No, not until that seven-year timeline is up, right? But um, what the problem is that that debt can have legs. And so if that debt is unsatisfied with the first company, they can sell that debt off to another company. And at that second company, collection company, has the ability to report that information. So the best rule of thumb is to always look at how can I settle out those old and bad debts because you don't want them to resurface under a new company. You don't want that company to decide to decide to file a judgment against you. All of those things are additional actions that continues the, that bad information staying around more than what it would just for the normal period of time because now it, it grows. It can be two or three negative entries based off of one bad debt. That's how and it so, works. Wow. Yes, okay. that's how that that grows legs. Wow. So yes, yeah, so that makes sense. that makes more sense now. So so this because you you so you ignore it sometimes ignoring the problem just does not this is not a great idea to try to make something go away. Go, it like, usually oh. isn't. <laughs> I mean, I think that's with most things in life, right? You know, you ignore it and you think it's just gonna go away, but most of the time that doesn't happen. So why do you think people are so scared of, of just of dealing with the creditors? I mean, oftentimes people people like hide. The, they know where you live. They got your address. They got your <laughs> phone number. They got your email address most of the time nowadays. And so they're 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 going to keep harassing you. So what's the harm in picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, I, I know I owe you some money, but I can't pay it right now. What can we do to get this thing to go away? What's the, what's the, what can negatively come out of that type of conversation? Well, here's an excellent way to think about it, right? It's much easier to talk to a friend than a stranger, right? Mm-hmm. You already know what that friend's going to probably say. 
you can almost read their minds, right? right. And so it, it, that's the problem is that when people talk to creditors, they feel like they don't know what to say. It's just we simply lack the empowerment that comes from information, right? And so sometimes the best call you can make is like, hey, I can't do this right now. I, I can't pay this right now. I'm having these hardships. Do you have some type of workout plan? Do you have some type of COVID payment plan provision? Do you have some type of hardship plan? Hmm. And you will find that companies, they deal with millions of people. You are not the first or last person they will talk to that has problems paying your bill. And so I think if you thought about it that way, hey, I'm just one of millions of people. They deal with this all the time. Let me see what I can work out. And so some of these companies may work out payment plans where they close the account and reduce the interest rates so you can't use it anymore, but you can pay a fixed amount to them every month, and you can do that without it ruining your credit. Now that, what you so, just said is right there, that is, that's gold huge. right there, what you just said. That's gold. And that is something people don't know about. That's actually a, that's a real thing. You can actually call them up. They have hardship departments that you can talk to yes. and then they'll make arrangements with. They'll take your, your revolving line of credit, your credit card, turn it into a loan, but, but take your 22% interest rate, maybe knock it down to five or six, maybe knock it down to three or four, whatever the rates are at that time. But now you can pay it off in five years as opposed to carrying it on forever. Yes. And I'm telling you this from experience. Um, I know the audience wouldn't know this, but I had a brain tumor. Mm. And, um, and going through what I went through, yeah, some things fell apart for me. And so I called my creditor up and they closed my credit card, but they said, we will put you at 3% interest. We'll give you fixed payments every month of $265. And I was owing probably close to 500 <laughs> per month to pay off that obligation. But, you know, I had a hardship mm -hmm. and I was thinking, oh God, I have to send in doctor's uh, <laughs> proof, et cetera. But no, just me saying that this is what's going on with me. This is why I fell out off the wagon, so to speak. I need to be able to do something because I have intentions on paying you guys and they work something out. So I'm, I'm not telling you something that I haven't myself had to do, but if you don't call, guess what? You have no idea. Wow. So what, how can people get a hold of some of the information? How do they connect with you in order to get um, help and the information that you have so they can empower themselves through social media, through websites. Do you have any literature? How do they get a hold of you? How do they contact you? Sure. Well, we have a website, and it is exactly what it says. We build your credit. That's what we do. And so that website is webuildyourcredit.com. Okay. And then we also have a telephone number. That number is 312-971-1352. Now, that particular uh, company, I have two companies. I just launched a new company called Next Level Credit, mm -hmm. and that's to really help people belong to a membership program that helps them understand how to build and develop. And so I'm launching that. So um, that's at nextlevelcredit.com. So I'm hoping to dominate the credit market. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely need help, especially, especially African-Americans and people in the veteran community, because a lot of times, like I said, veterans, uh, we do certain things with their money and don't realize the real impact on how the game works. There are certain rules to yeah. how you build and manage your money, particularly when it pertains to credit. And if you're not if you're not playing by the rules, sometimes you might spin your wheels. You're spinning your wheels thinking you're going to build credit, but you're really not because you have either dead weight that's bringing you down that hasn't been satisfied, or you're not doing the right steps or taking the right activities to build your credit. 
Yes, and that's why the education is so close to my heart, and I'm launching off the initiatives to just really get the education out there because this is stuff that folks need to know. And if they were empowered with more information, I feel very confident that we as a society would be doing better. Now, this is the last question in our last two minutes before we um, uh, in our segment. So there's there's a lot of apps out there right now that are designed to help you build credit. You know, I won't name the names of those, but there's tons of apps out there that people can go and download onto their phone. But I know they don't technically use the same type of scoring systems in order to give you a credit score that a lot of the banks and, and different financial institutions use to actually get you credit. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit in, in like about a minute and then kind of give us an idea about what's the best way to navigate that? Sure. Quick summary, most of the monitoring services do not give you FICO scores, which are the, the scores that banks use when they when you apply for credit. And so it's great to have a monitoring system, but do understand that those scores are not the same as what you're going to see when you go to the bank. So a couple of services I would recommend, Credit Karma is good, but those are not real scores. But it's still good to look at two of your bureaus and at least know what's happening. The other one that's even better is Experian.com because Experian, you can sign up for free, and it's going to at least give you your Experian score, but with a FICO. So if you want to have a good gauge of where your score is, go to Experian.com, sign up for that for free, and you'll get a FICO score, and that will give you a real gauge of how a bank will look at you. Lisa Gavin, appreciate your time. You're the C- your CBI Vice President of We Build Your Credit and also President of Next Level Credit and Funding. Thank you. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.